0: Hello and welcome back to There's a Hack for That. This week, Erica and I interview life coach and friend breakup expert, Catherine, or Kat, Sled. In this conversation, we shed light on friendships and how they inform all the relationships in our lives. We touch on everything from our personal definition of friendships, what is a family of origin, as well as friend breakups and how traumatic they can be. We got pretty personal and shared our personal experiences with friend breakups. At one point, it kind of felt like group therapy, but it was very informative. And Kat reveals how friendships are not given the space they deserve in our society and how we can cultivate better communication in our friend breakups to help us grow from the loss. If you're curious to start a healing path in your friendship journey, Kat shares some journal prompts as well as some. Book resources in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. Make sure to connect with Kat, connect with us and the podcast. If this episode gave you the feels, make sure to share it. Tell us why you loved it. And share it also because you never know who else might need the message. Thank you so much for listening. And here is our conversation with Kat Sled. Hello, Erica. Hi. And welcome to Kat. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I feel like we start we start the episodes
1: and it's like, oh yeah, Erica's here too, or Lauren's here too. <laughs> Hi, it's Kat. Just, no, no. <laughs> Hello. I'm so grateful to be with you guys. It's been so long since I've seen you. It's good to be here. I know, I know. I love seeing your faces. So
0: I said a little bit in the intro, but we all met again through Erica's organization, Women In It Together. She is just yeah. such... A connector. cat
2: and yeah, and Kat was someone that I stalked and reached out and invited you, right? I
1: think there was I that. Yeah, I think there... I don't know. I feel a little bit like I sort of stalked you or I found out about <laughs> WIT. It was just, just a great community space that you've created. <laughs> you guys have created together.
0: It's been such a fun source for guests. We have some incredible women mm-hmm. in the organization. And I have just loved following you, especially through the pandemic, because... You do, a, you work in a very special space that does not get enough um, time, airtime, conversations, all the kinds of things. So let's jump right in. Tell us your story and how you became a friend, breakup, and family of origin healing specialist.
1: Yeah, I think the simplest answer to that is I was pursuing my own healing I was looking for freedom for myself and after things I had been through and as well with my partner and my kids. And in that process, I just found how pivotal our family of origin stories are to our healing. They really form a lot of the structure of how we view ourselves and each other. And so when we go back and we explore those and tend to those and heal those, it has a huge impact, like that kind of a ripple effect. And in that space, I noticed a correlation, at least for myself, that on my healing journey, it changed my community space. And there was either a lack of it or a loss of it, or then sometimes finding new people. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the friend breakup space, is having gone through community loss while in the process of healing. And so it was kind of having the guts to think, oh my gosh, this is such an isolating and I feel kind of some shame and guilt about losing friendships. I bet I'm not alone in that. What if I start to explore that? What if I start to write about that? So that's how I got to where I am.
0: I find it so fascinating. I've done a lot of like family of origin discovery. It was something, it's honestly a term I had never heard of. My mom started using it, not recently, like in the last few years, because we're investigating getting our Italian citizenship but you have like we started down that like genealogy path. But can you tell us what a family of origin is?
1: Yeah, I would describe family of origin as the place, people, and context that shape us. Because it's not just our family. Our family was in a locatedness. Our family has generational impacts. I don't know if either one of you are up on the latest Disney movie, but Encanto is like such a beautiful film about family of origin and our roles mm. that we play in our family. So for Disney there. But yeah, there's, there's cycles that are both familial and systemic, and that influences how we relate to ourselves and each other, as I kind of was just saying, and who we choose to connect with. So that's how I define family of origin, is who are the people that shaped you when you were developing as a human being. I like how
0: you mentioned location, though, too, because my family is Italian. My parents are New Yorkers. I grew up in Texas. So like the region of the country i grew up in was very different than my parents family of origin so like yeah socially the location you grow up in definitely informs your experience erica have you had any does that ping anything for you
2: well i'm the reason i'm silent because this is this is very new for me so i'm sitting mm. here, like letting it soak in and i'm like okay family origin, because the first thing that kind of comes to mind is like generational trauma, or like like epigenetics, like things that are passed down in our DNA, but this is more about our our experience in this human spacesuit, in this lifetime, and the experiences that we collect as we're growing, is that?
1: I would say, I love that you're bringing that up, because it, I think it's it's both, it's both okay. and, that our particularity matters, but so does the broader context as well, because those are in relationship with each other, and it's mm-hmm. like, it brings up a lot, I mean, I'm curious what you're feeling, Erica.
2: Well, yeah, I think what comes up is, you know, I've been on a very long personal growth journey that started with therapy and having to take off the rose colored glasses that I had the perfect childhood and everything was great and why, you know, nothing's wrong. And though there's so much within my consciousness that I can look back and see like, oh, this makes sense of why I am the way I am. And then there's also this whole like subconscious past life thing that I relate to as well, that that's kind of the journey I'm in right now is, like, learning to connect with my spirit guides and really, like, just my soul in general as, like, when my soul feels safe and when it doesn't. And sometimes it's because it's like, okay, that was then and this is now and whatever. So I guess what I'm saying is, like, yeah, I think it's all of it. It's it's the whole story of my my now experiences, past experiences, body stuff, like, spirit, all the things. So it,
1: it feels like a really big topic. I mean, mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me, Lauren, you're saying like you have three locatedness places, so Texas, New York, and then you know Italy, Italian family. So there's like these broad categories and they have their unique intersections. And I think what you're bringing up, Erica, is really important because family of origin does come from a Western Eurocentric colonized way of looking at the brain and the body and development and healing. And so it doesn't include the realities of what what do our bodies hold beyond that? What might we have in Mm -hmm. other life stories, other traditions or ways of healing of seeing something beyond what has been defined as the mental health realm? I don't know if that makes sense. So I think that's important that you're including that.
2: Yeah, it does. And even, and then also being Jewish, like, and learning about the Holocaust. I'm actually reading um, Man's Search for Meaning, for Meaning by Viktor Frankl right now. It's actually been really hard for me to get through. I've read a ton of books about the Holocaust. I, you know, I know my family's story, that sort of thing. But I, I'm now revisiting it, having gone through such a growth in my own consciousness and, like, better being able to, like, connect to other people's suffering. So now it's like, ooh, this is, like, in my DNA and in my... My, like everything I guess
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so
0: just this little portion of the family of origin has got my mind already wanting to reframe the questions that I sent you in advance so let's go let's take the next step and say okay now we know what family of origin kind of is but it can be defined by each individual I would love to know your definition of friendship
1: Yeah, I actually really loved this question because I would say mm, my definition of friendship will be different than your definition or or Erica's definition. And I think that's one of the important things about coming to engage our our friendship spaces or our stories in friendship as well. So I think if you were to, this might jump ahead a bit, but my definition of friendship are people that you can be with even when it's messy. I have come in my own story to notice how much it matters to me to be able to be in good conflict with people, to have a sense that there is time and spaciousness for play and delight, and there is also time and spaciousness for repairing it when there is inevitably harm in any connection. And so to me, friendship is something that can contain contain that space. That's what I long for. It's not always what ends up being experienced because that takes two individuals. So yeah, that's my definition.
0: That's so good.
2: I've never thought about defining friendship. So I, yeah, when you talk about that, I'm like, Oh, that's so good. And then I'm like, I think, I think in the past it's, you know, and this is why the work you do is so important because in the past, we has been like, Oh, a friend is like a friendly person that I just, there's a connection with it. Sometimes they're deep and sometimes they're less deep and, or, or on the surface level, but Having your definition makes it like, oh, this is a container that requires attention and it's not, they don't just happen or whatever. So yeah, that's.
1: Well, I'm curious what each of you might say and answer because I think really what much of the work I do with people around friendship is how can we open up the places in you that desire connection and what does that mean and look like for you? Because that might just be, you want something like easy. Like, can I just text you and we go to Target and we grab the Starbucks and we wander the aisles and we mask up? I mean, what does it mean now in a pandemic? Like someone who has a higher tolerance to hang out on Zoom? Like, what do you have? So I'm curious what you guys might say, you know, would be your own definition of friendship.
0: I have been like journaling and like processing a lot about this. I'm liter- I literally am almost done reading "Big Friendship: oh, yeah. How We Keep Each Other Close" by Amanda Tuowen and Anne Freeman. I've listened to their podcast religiously. Call Your Girlfriend. Before I listened to it, before it was really popular. I hate doing that, but I totally just did it. But reading that book, and now I recently moved away from my from Denver, so now I have removed myself from my network. And a lot of the connections have stayed as equally strong as they were because we had routines. Eric and I are a good example, but I'm realizing that, and this is language that my fiance gave me, I collect love stories with people. My friendships are very intimate and very intense. And if you're going to have the privilege of being close to me, it's all, It's like you're in or you're out. Like, I've just always kind of been that way. I'm I'm softening to, like, acquaintances and having, like, different levels of my Venn diagram. But having someone reflect that back to me, it's like I have these love stories with people. I'm in intimate friendship relationships with people. And sometimes it's romantic and sometimes it's not. I have a lot of platonic intimate relationships. So it's like, read, like following your content and reading this book right now, it's just, like, really makes me think of and appreciate all the people that have impacted who I am right now.
2: Yeah. And I can say that when we first met Lauren and I remember the first time you called our friendship a relationship and I had to – and like my little avoidant, self-reliant self was like, what? Like that's a really big, strong word, Lauren. You take that back kind of thing. I'm really intense like like, like that. I'm like, you in or you out? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are intimate now. But that was also – I mean, I was in a place luckily where I was able to notice that it made me uncomfortable and then just kind of be like, oh, like this is okay. We're, we're fine. So it was a big part of helping me grow and like learn to trust people and all that good stuff. But I would say I'm on the opposite spectrum of you. I'm more like, uh, I mean, I'm, I, working to shift this but in the past it's like surround myself with as many people as possible who only know the surface level and it's like it feels good to like have lots of connections and whatever but nothing ever gets too deep and no one ever like I'm still mysterious um that was always a defense mechanism of course so it's like I'm surrounded by all the people but still feel alone that sort of thing and again I've started to to shift that but I would say friendship to me that's what it brings up it's like oh there's like lots of options for what I need in this moment but nothing to like there's a little piece of me that's a major commitment phobe like i'm like oh like push and pull push and pull so yeah i'd say like it's a, my my definition is a lighter one i used to have both i didn't really
0: i mean i've just recently realized this about myself but in my in my previous career i was that same person i'd show up to every networking event everyone knew one little tiny thing about me <laughs> I- i'm realizing now in retrospect a lot of people thought we were in friendships they thought i was their friend but i did not consider them part of my like mm. intimate relationship circle that has been a real revelation through the pandemic but yeah i i totally understand that experience too but the- i used to call myself mysterious like it was my line and it just was me not one It was me avoiding people for sure <laughs> So, okay, let's add let's let's add these together. How does a f- your family of origin impact your concept of friendship?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to tie in not saying anything about your stories, but you're already naming like context for, you know, this feels safe to me or this feels like belonging. And so I think your family of origin is where you get information from the people who raise you about your worth. What you can expect in relationships, what's going to happen when there's conflict or fallout, what love looks like, what you feel in your body is safe to explore or not safe to explore. And so all of those things, um, there's a a term called style of relating. It shapes your style of relating, and that um, is how we end up starting to show up in the world as adults. With each other, we're kind of bringing our own family styles of relating and patterns to our friendships. This makes me think of like
0: like watching how my parents had friends or like how we related to like the people in our church. I'm not going to touch that topic, but if you're curious about purity culture or dismantling any kind of like religious structure you were grown up in, follow Cat. But I I learned how to be friends with people by watching how my people were friends with people. How my family and my community I never really thought about it though in that context
2: right because we're taught like to think about that with romantic relationships like what is our love language it's you know what we didn't get as a child or whatever it might be but yeah I've never shifted that perspective to friendships it's like oh yeah no wonder I treat friends friendships that way because I do tend to be more avoidant in romantic relationships so it's you know it's still a relationship as Lauren taught me
0: it's still intimacy, even though it's not physical, maybe like romantic relationships are. So why do you think friendships aren't given the same amount of respect or attention in our society as romantic relationships?
1: Yeah, this is one. I love this question so much. I just have to say that because it's it's giving space for when we notice that something isn't being talked about, we don't just need to talk about it, we need to understand why it's not being talked about, because that's going to give us so much more context, again, for the answer. So I think if you think about, I don't know if you guys grew up, I've already mentioned Disney, so we're going to come back to that. But like, we kind of got this Disney princess fairy tale handed to us if you like grew up in the early, late 80s, early 90s, or even before then, you know. Man rescues helpless woman, and they all live happily ever after. And then if you add in the patriarchy, then the woman stays home and has kids. So you're given this standard and structure for what is acceptable as a romantic relationship and the things that you're supposed to want out of it. And I think that what we've been doing, you know, which is good, is shedding those things because they're harmful, they're oppressive, and coming to our own sense of what do we want in romantic relationships. We've been having all of that freedom. But what we didn't do was recognize why that framework got put there in the first place. And so we kind of handed those burdens off to friendships. So our desires for longevity and relationship or somebody that'll be there for us, no matter what, that's probably a family of origin wound. We actually just put on our bestie and we just think they're going to be there for our whole life. And so the whole, like the narrative is still there. It's just on a different relationship. And so when it comes to friend breakups, and friendships in general, it's like this masking we have about the fact that there are still some things that we haven't quite reckoned with as a society that we either do want or need to let go of, um, that friendships are having to hold, so... You can have two people who are in a relationship break up and the friends of those people, you guys will kind of, you'll all make it work. You'll contain it. You'll give some space. Everybody gets it. But if you break up with a friend, you kind of end up losing like a side of a community or people like part ways. Yep. Yep. It can get really, really brutal really quickly because we don't have a way to contain what we thought that relationship was going to be and all the other things that touched And so I think that's one of the reasons why. You kind of already touched on this a little bit, but I
2: want to ask it directly. So say I get like, you know, I go to therapy, I've had coaches, I very much am working on like my romantic relation, like myself in a romantic relationship, what that looks like. Do you think that people unconsciously or naturally become better in in like friendship Relationships, if they're working on their romantic relationships, or is it really a different language? And it's like we need to actively, like, okay, I'm consciously going to look at this, that, or the other thing in friendships.
1: Then. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I don't know that I've like considered correlations. I think that like if you're working on one thing in your life, like you're trying to drink more water, it's going to improve your sleep and all these other things. Like, right. so I would say that that flows. But kind of to Lauren's point, your point earlier that friendships are like love stories. I would say that we are always bringing all aspects of our identity to every relationship at whatever level of intimacy. So even the pieces of like our sexuality or gender identity, we're bringing that to our friendships, even if that's a platonic setting. And so what I would say is any connection to our relational story and work on that part of ourself would, you know, show up as being bringing more closeness and capacity in other relationships.
2: Yeah. And like the, con- the conscious, the, perspective of it. So it's like from this conversation forward, if I'm working on myself in a romantic aspect, I can be like, oh, how does this apply to my friendships? How can I also use this tool or whatever to deepen my friendships? Whereas in the past, I don't think I would have ever thought of like them overlapping, but, you know, making the intention of it. I
0: can say that for like, I guess not even consciously, now I'm going to do it consciously, all the things I'm working on for myself, healing my past romantic relationships and all the trauma and all the trauma, really, like from the abuse and like whatever I went through in my romantic relationships, I pushed away my intimate friendships because I was hiding something or scared of something. But now I'm like very consciously trying my best to be authentic across the board. Mm. Like my, who I show up with, with you, Erica, is the same person I show up with, with Adam, or Sam, or, you know, whoever, not everyone gets that access. I show up differently with my family, because I'm working on other things there. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's I think friendships give us an opportunity to practice those new tools. Mm -hmm. I think that's what helped me manifest my relationship with Adam is that I started being really present and real and authentic with my friends. You were definitely a part of that. So thanks.
1: (laughs) I think welcome. that that feels like the beauty to me of friendship. And actually, in a weird way, because of the oppressive structures of our society, we're actually set up to fail in friendships rather than being able to fully experience the possibility that's there, is that we're actually trying new ways of relating in friendship because we're no longer in that family structure. You're bringing two different family structure styles together as you're bringing yourself into a room. And so you have so much more possibility for there to be a different response. Like you show up with what you're excited about and maybe you were shut down as a kid, but your friend's like, oh my gosh, I love this too. And so that part of you begins to open up and come to life. So yeah, I would say the one thing I think about, just following up to your question, Erica, is conflict doesn't have the same containment for friendships that we do offer it for romantic relationships. We expect to have tension with partners. We, like, especially if you know it's a longer term relationship, we, we kind of expect that, and so we make some room for that. And when it happens in friendship, it it's not as we are not given as much support or language or feeling within ourselves like that's okay, like it's okay for those friendships to our friendships to rumble too.
2: I was just gonna say, especially if you're a recovering people pleaser like me, yeah, like conflict and friendship like even now i have to notice when my people pleaser is coming like okay like no speak up for what you want like it's okay to have a different opinion or whatever but yeah that hits home real hard
0: (laughs) have you either of you both of you have you ever had a traumatic friend breakup i mean i wrote a whole book about him (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you remember your first one like how old you were either of you?
1: I'm curious what, what both your answers are of the age range. Cause I get it. A, a so feel.
2: for me, honestly, I would have to think back to like, I, like when I was younger, again, I was such a people pleaser. I don't, I wouldn't have allowed anything to happen. I would have just shifted and molded and like made it work. But the only friend breakup I've had, so I've had, like I would say I would have one, this friend that we broke up, she's had a bunch. Like this was kind of like so that that was part of what made me not, quote, unquote, feel bad about it. Because like, well, that's just kind of like this person. But looking back now with, with fresh perspective, you know, I definitely can see my part, like how I contributed to what happened. But, you know, to this day, I have regret about it because the way that it, it ended was like we were inseparable. Then I started dating someone. She got jealous. And neither of us had the tools to communicate about what was going on. But she just kept on like kind of showing up as like, the hurt little sister. And I was like, you know, whatever, we're blaming each other. And then she moved to Texas and I haven't talked to her since then. And so I'll think about like, should I reach out? But part of me is like, like I, I, one, I don't even know if I want to rekindle anything. And it's, you know, it's just been this big learning experience for me. And it happened around my waking up like my Saturn return and all of that. But yeah, that's, so that's my one major experience with friend breakups. And I'm sure I would have had more if I wasn't so deeply in my people pleasing tendencies as a child and in college and all of that.
0: Yeah. My first like notable one, and this is also like supporting my whole like love story, intense relationships was probably in ninth grade is one of those like inseparable bestie you know girlfriend relationships in middle school and then you hit high school and it's like i didn't exist anymore and it was awful <laughs> <laughs> i mean like we've we figured out as we grew up like through high school and college and all of that how to just be like acquaintances but like it i just will never be i just like changed me it was so Actually, this is the book I the book I mentioned earlier was what made me think of it. and now I can like track all these different breakups and
2: they're real traumatic. My yes. gosh. we need to have you back
1: for a workshop or something. <laughs> this <is> so good <laughs> i I think it's like we don't get to end well together. and I think that like even as we orient, it's like, well, maybe this wouldn't have happened. It's more like well, maybe it should have ended. But it doesn't also have, that doesn't actually have to break us. In fact, if we end relationships or other contexts, well, it has a potential to bring more healing and wholeness and connection to ourselves. And so in a way it's, it's, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, as part of my work and research is like, why is does this end up being kind of a sabotaged or a really kind of super messy place, you know, what's there, but yeah, it's middle school. I'll oh, go ahead. Something to think about. I mean, It
0: happens in families, too. Like, it's not just friendships. People have times where they're estranged from siblings or parents. I mean, like, those are kind of friendships, too. Siblings, I I think, specifically. It's like we're, you know, in the same family, but you have to choose to have a relationship or you have to get to the point where you realize you have a choice, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I Actually, one of the things I say is I think friendships are our first encounter with the gift of conditional love. We talk a lot about unconditional love, and I actually, I mean, this is from my school thoughts, so welcome to this degree. I don't believe that we, unconditional love is something that we need to give each other as like fully grown adults. That's something that a parent should give to a child, and this is from Alice Miller, a book called Drama of the Gifted Child, but like if we didn't get it when we were kids, we have to grieve that as a permanent loss, and no one can fulfill that for us. so But if you kind of go back to like we talk about when is your first friend breakup, it's like our friendships are the places where we get to encounter somebody choosing us and us choosing them back. We're a little kid in our family. You're with your family. You're in that context. Like everybody's just there. Like there's this sense like, oh, we have to be loved. I mean, maybe that says some things about my story. But our friends choose us. And so we get to feel this sense of belonging about like rooted in our own identity and connecting with somebody out of out of choice even though you know proximity and locatedness again all influence who we end up getting to connect with but yeah
2: yeah and i think what you just said brought up for me a new definition for friendship i think at least how i see it in my adult life because when i moved to denver i believe i truly found my soul family like these souls that i agreed ahead of time to meet up with in this lifetime because in California where I grew up, it was more like, okay, these were the people that were around because of circumstance and some of them could have been soul family, of course. But I see that now as like my friends or people that like – like with Lauren and even you, Kat, to a certain degree, is like when I just was in your presence, like, oh, I really love this person's energy. I feel connected to you. I don't know why, but I'm just going to believe in that. So that's what just came up for me for like – actually, I forget why, but that's what came up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I hear freedom in that and connection to yourself, but also, like, to the greater there. Yeah. Yeah. Choosing. Choosing.
0: Choosing. Choice. It's so funny how much people don't think they have a choice
1: in a lot of these
0: relationships, friendship or romantic. Um, But platonic Mm -hmm. love is, like, a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's something that I I don't think gets enough, like, attention or language. I don't know.
2: Kat, did you want to share your first friend breakup or, or?
1: Oh, yeah. So mine is middle school as well. And as I've kind of like, like, it's not, you know, across the board, I'm not official researcher, but that's kind of been the thing that's popped up is like middle school, there's usually something that happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's actually the first chapter of my book is about being clueless and feeling like this friend wanted to do a lip sync contest with me. But really, it's, as it turns out, the day of the contest, they called me to cancel, even though we'd had rehearsals and it went so well. And they actually had another friend on the phone because they didn't feel like they could just tell me they didn't want to do it and that their mom had made them do it because they didn't feel like I had enough friends. And I was like... Blindsided. I was, you know, pre, pre adolescent hormones. Like, it was just not a good time. So, that is an, it's an interesting thing where, you know, kind of as you said, Erica, like, you were like, I, they didn't happen because I could watch. And you know what? I didn't have people pleasing stuff happen. Like, that one full year, I was like, oh, I, I really missed this. They did not want to hang out with me. And so, then I didn't have any friend breakups for a long time. so and at the cost of myself at the cost of myself as a cost of my own voice and my you know other parts of my identity so yeah oh, we we go through so much
2: in those so much compassion for years. our past self I know, let's, let's, just let's take a moment, moment to take, put uh, our hands on our heart listeners do it too and just send compassion to your past self because shit
0: <laughs> I know yeah. but little Lauren is like right on the right below the surface on this conversation. She's she's yeah. listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: So in an effort to normalize these issues that it sounds like are kind of universal people face in friendships. What are some of the most common conflicts or issues that you help your clients face when dealing with a friend breakup? Because I feel like once we speak them out loud, the whole Brene Brown thing Things can't, shame can't live in in silence, that whole idea.
1: Yes. Yeah, when we name things, actually, I mean, that was something I was going to say. But yeah, it's, I mean, this is one of the things I talk about in the course that I run on friend breakups, but is the pain that's there is actually kind of surfaces in a lot of similar emotions uncertainty anger frustration guilt like questioning like kind of almost the phases of grief like as you're saying erica do i want to reconnect what's what's happening here how do i process this and that happens as i notice if you're the one contemplating needing to break up you feel that on the front end you are you are there in the months before going what is like can I make this work, blah, 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 like trying to work it out. And then if you're the one that's, you know, kind of gets blindsided or is the one that gets sat down with the conversation of I don't think this is working or just like ghosted, you feel that on the back end. But you're feeling actually similar things is what I've noticed. And I think what I would want to normalize is that, normalize the breaking up as a part of process of like being in relationship with people and ending that. How can we end that well? But even more so is that I think we as a society or as communities need to take that from being a separate process that's individualistic and bring it together. We need to name these things together. And so as opposed to being, and this isn't always possible. And so I've been on both sides of this and I've been on both sides of trying to have conversations and also being like, I'm not willing to have a conversation, but can we be together and go, something isn't working? Can the person that feels like they need to break up, be vulnerable enough to say, maybe this could work. Can the person that's being broken up with be vulnerable enough to say, maybe this does need to end? And can we actually start to do that together? Because right now we're treating friendships as something that we need to learn from. Like, oh, that was toxic. I shouldn't have done this, this, or that. As opposed to a place where we should learn together. We're meant to learn together. So that mutuality piece. And I think I actually have a quote here from a study done on, I think it's middle school or high school aged girls in 1992 it's Brown and Gilligan because I'm in school so I'm citing my sources but that if we are in conflict with somebody and we lose the relationship we also lose access to our voice and that's for both parties and so this is the this is the quote about how trying to create an environment where these middle school high school aged girls could be in conflict with each other but still stay in connection. And it says, without such an experience of one's voice being received, without the forfeiture of relationship, the ear cannot reawaken and the voice cannot speak, be it internal or external dialogue. And so I think what I would say is normalize friend breakups, but let's start to take the risks of having those conversations together rather than separately. That is my soapbox.
0: I love it.
2: (laughs) Suds it it up, Kat. Yeah. And that... (laughs) For me, I hear that so much uh, with like the losing your voice piece, again, especially, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of stuff that goes into this, but especially as a people pleaser. And also, of course, having to bring up human design at least once in the episode, you know, as a manifester with a defined throat center, you know, learning how much power there is in my voice for me. And when I've learned that in human design, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I feel like often that I don't feel that power, but human design has allowed me to realize that is a source. And so I'm like doing more breath work and just learning how to like unblock that energy. And there's so much like trauma that lives there in my throat center for me that I'm clearing out. And as I do that, it's like, oh, I do have a voice. I do have power. I can channel, you know, whatever's coming through me. But if I look back, I could definitely see I mean, I'm sure all kinds of experiences that slowly, like almost the visual I get is like just s- slowly turning down the volume on my voice. Like something happens, like, oh, it's not safe to speak. It's not safe to speak. It's not safe to speak. And so that's a really cool parallel for me, like that you just helped me kind of see. But it's true. It's like those experiences don't have to be a reason for you to turn to shine less brightly or turn down the volume of your voice it's just like oh this is happening like how can we process this and work through it and decide what's best for both of us and then move on bigger and brighter than ever
1: yeah yeah and and i think as i hear you say that to just like reflect like we bring so much dignity even when we name the hard stuff to Mm -hmm. the other person in the relationship because we're actually saying hey i believe in you to be able to hold this even though it's difficult yeah. and that you're actually offering somebody a gift to quote Brene Brown again, our, our, our patron saint of vulnerability, <laughs> you know, clear as kind, unclear as unkind. I think that's from her book, dare to lead. And, you know, to begin to go, Oh, me being clear about how I'm feeling or how I'm experiencing this relationship, even if there's harm is actually a real gift. It's a gift.
0: I think I have all kinds of feelings based on what you guys just you're in exchange, but what I wanted to bring up from my feelings that I'm having trouble naming because that's my thing is the idea that social media skews all of this. So I have personal experience with friends that I mentioned this earlier, thought we were in a more intimate relationship than I perceived it to be Watched social media for an amount of time and then made a decision to end the friendship or, decided to make statements about what they were perceiving was happening. And friendship for me is more intimate than that. Like my friends know what's going on that's not on social media, but I think social media skews the whole thing because it's just a highlight reel. And then we make a lot of assumptions about our quote unquote friends, which don't support the idea of communicating like you mentioned. So our voices are like skewed because of these per- perceived lives that we live publicly.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or what we perceive others have the capacity to talk about, or maybe are on the same wavelength about, like you're sharing a post about boundaries. So you think, oh yeah, they're totally going to get this if I set a boundary. And then you're like, wait a minute. That's this aggressive is, social, social media. Answer. doesn't yeah. work. I don't understand. <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm the That's person really that'll point. call it out and
0: be like, you know, you. this is for you. Yeah, you. Like... Somebody received that. Probably somebody I wouldn't have even expected.
1: <laughs> it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm.
0: if this mm-hmm. makes you feel something, it's for you. This is just such a fascinating conversation. Okay, so my last question before we ask you, our question we ask everybody, what are some tools and resources that our listeners can use to start examining this really big topic and be a better yeah. friend?
1: Yeah. I mean, what I'd be curious about is, you know, even to, as you've listened to the episode, what is the question? Like, what was your first friend breakup? And even to just tune into like, even as you remember that, does your heart rate elevate? Do you feel nauseous? Do you start to feel like shame or like what comes up for you? Cause all of those are like data points of how you have like of your story that probably are not isolated experiences as well. So, you know, being rejected, like imprints on us. And so I think that your story is one of the greatest resources you can tap into. And, you know, as that's connecting even beyond your own family of origin, but in your friendships. And I think the other thing that I would say is, you know, just to repeat the words of like, are you looking at your friendships as a a space where you can learn together? Where, you know, what I would say is, to quote one of my teachers, Dan Allender, someone whose work has really influenced my work and how I show up in the world, but like no one escapes trauma. And so what does it mean to begin to look like that to know that you've suffered and actually how is that impacting how you relate to people or how you can actually also be with people as you're like, once we are aware of what we've suffered, we can be with others better and have deeper connection. So I think the resource of your story and your body and your memory are what I would say to tap into.
0: Okay, listener, those journal prompts will be in the show notes.
1: <laughs> Reach out, tell us how they went. Because that's what
0: I was yeah. like, okay, these are journal prompts. I'm going to have to write about this. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually, one random question that popped into my mind that I don't know if this is something that comes up for you and your clients, I'd be curious around, I know for me, I hear people say or see people write like, it's hard to make friends or you know, they have this belief that that is something that's hard. And, like, my perspective has always been, like, the belief I choose is it's easy to make friends. If I want to create connections, I don't always have a bunch of them coming in. But I'm like, when I want that connection, if I want a new friend, it's very easy for me to go out and find that. But I know a lot of people are like, it's so hard to, like, show up and find some like, choose these friends. Is that something that shows up a lot for your clients?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think choice is a really interesting thing because as a, like – grown ass adults, if I can say that, (laughs) like we have choice, but where we're actually accessing, whether or not we have that is from the, the ways that we learn to relate to ourselves and what freedom we had, you know, growing up. Mm. So there are like ways, I can't think of an example right now that we kind of freeze like that trauma response to where we actually don't feel like we have choice. And I think it's important to say, if you don't feel like you can access friendships, explore that like what is the the story that might be connected there were you not allowed to go out did you go out one time and you really got in big trouble for it and you never like tried to sneak out again like what what happened around your community formation because that will still kind of be like what you feel is possible for you or what's going to happen if you risk connecting again because it's vulnerable it's vulnerable to make friends it's vulnerable to meet people I think what
0: what came up for me in your in listening to your response and it's such a great question i
1: such a, oh, great it's question, a great
0: question is i struggled making friends really my whole life because i was afraid to be vulnerable because i grew up with siblings that would use vulnerability against you so it's like one of those like you mm-hmm. have to be even willing to put yourself out there and like introduce yourself to people and allow people to know things about you you know that kind of stuff so
2: yeah and I have a example that might help like if someone feels that oh it's hard to make friends but I'm not sure how and you want to explore like an example from my life would be you know having a protective parent who I know at one point growing up I think I might have been in elementary school but my neighbor so I'm Jewish my neighbor is was Mormon and I grew up going to a conservative synagogue. Like we weren't super religious, but like it, it's very important to my mom. And so I remember at one point, like I just loved my neighbor. Her name was Crystal, and to this day she's just this most bubbly, most amazing person, and I loved being around her. And she was very plugged into her Mormon community. And I remember one time I asked to go to like the church dance with him not for the purpose of becoming Mormon. I was just like, these people are so nice and welcoming and lovely. Like I want to go hang out with them. And then my parents let me go. But I rem- like to this day I can kind of like look back and see just how my mom probably just felt so like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I was doing it to spite her or something. Like I don't want to be Jewish. I want to be Mormon. But for me, I was just like, I like these people. And so a belief that can come from that is like, I have to be careful who I choose my how I choose my friends because mom might not approve, you know, as someone who like there's the people pleasing thing again, right? So that's, I mean, a pretty big example of how very quickly a big belief can be created that then dims your light. And it's like, Ooh, I'm going to be more careful when I'm deciding who I'm going to hang out with or who I'm going to be friends with.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you've described your connectivity and your affinity for meeting people, like one of the brightest places within you that you really delight in and about yourself. And I I enjoy it. I've benefited from that with you. I enjoy that. (laughs) Like that, that those are the places where the harm ends up matching up usually too. totally like you don't have to dim something that's not shining. It's like it's just you don't need to spend time on it. So it goes after those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great example
0: that brought us full circle on the whole family of origin, too. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> Nailed it. Well, this could honestly A. go on for like another hour. This I has know. been such an incredible conversation. Let's end with how can the people connect with you? Where's your favorite place to connect?
1: Yeah, right now I'm mostly on Instagram at uh, Kate Sled, So that'll be probably spelled out somewhere because it's a tricky name. And you can sign up for my email list, which you will hear from me once in, in a while. But I do run a course um, called How to Be Bad Friend or the Bad Friend course. And that'll probably happen maybe late spring, early summer if you're interested in that. And yeah, it's that's that's the best place to hang out with me. But oh my goodness, thank you so much, having me this has been delightful and really like I love what I'm getting to take from this conversation as well so thank you of course so go connect with Kat
2: her
0: there's a link to her Instagram in the show notes go like five posts of hers and she'll know you came from the podcast I'm sure you will find something that you connect with and our final question we ask everybody is what is your current favorite life hack
1: Yes, I saw this question and I was really excited. I don't know who's on TikTok. Are either one of you on TikTok? Okay. Bless you. <laughs> no. You probably are such good, productive
2: Burnout. like was,
0: I tried it Wait. for like a week and I like had a time warp. I lost whole yeah. days of my life. I did enjoy the cat videos though. So that's what uh. I'm here for that. The,
1: the cat videos are great. So listen, I I am I love TikTok. It is my goal for TikTok to tell me at least once a week that I need to stop scrolling and get a <laughs> glass of water. So I have TikTok goals. Anyways, if that's my dissociative habits. But Emily Mariko blew up on there over just like a salmon. She microwaved leftover salmon and rice, and like you just put the ice cube in the middle so it doesn't melt with like a little parchment paper microwave it mix it with sriracha and then this special kind of mayonnaise I haven't been able to find but you can figure something else that works and then you use a little seaweed paper and you have like this homemade sushi thing I have had that for lunch I don't even know how many times in the last six months so that's my life hack so it's like I'm eating something that's good for me and easy Can we find a link to that video to share in the show notes? Yeah, I'll find it for you. It has like 15 million views. But yeah, it's so it's like a celebrity. I do. I I will admit that I did try like that feta
0: pasta, single dish TikTok pasta. So good. I haven't tried
1: that one yet because they were out of feta for a while. Yeah, because it's probably because of that video.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here, Kat. Make sure to go follow her, follow the podcast, follow Eric and I. And if you loved this episode and it really resonated with you, I bet you you know somebody who it will also resonate with. So go ahead and share it. You can share it in a text. You can share it from Spotify or Apple or any of the places you listen. You can also share it on your stories and tag us. And no matter what, everybody, stay stay curious. curious. Disclaimer. This podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, Please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.